Organs members TV and podcasts. I'm Steve Clark and I'm delighted to be joined this evening by the freelance writer and event director Peter Heim and the former McLaren chief mechanic Neil Trundle. Welcome gentlemen. Well, great to have you here. both with us this evening and it's great that we've got people online uh, looking forward to our conversation. Um, you the audience will be given an opportunity to ask some questions during the evening by typing into the chat box, um, which I'll try and pick up, but I can't promise I'll be able to give them all airing. And tonight at the end, uh, if you wish to ask a question online. So tonight's topic is Peter's new book, Formula One Car by Car 1990 to 1999, published by Evro at a very reasonable price of 45 pounds. Now, I don't intend to plough through every race, every, every car through the decade. I think we'd be here till breakfast. So we're just three guys sitting in the pub talking about Formula One in the 1990s with around 50 or so people listening in. So Peter, just remind us that you're no stranger to the world of Formula One, having written about decades from the 1950s and now up to the 90s. How did it all start? Well, I, I worked um, for Autosport from uh, a very early age. Leave, when I left college, I, I went to work for Autosport, worked on the commercial side there for a, a, a number of years and, um, and left to become a freelance writer. And uh, I've been for the last five years um, writing this series of decade by decade uh, books about the teams and cars and people of, of Formula One. So, um, this is the fifth volume, uh, which covers the 1990s, as you said, um, which is, you know, a, an amazing era. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've read the book and enjoyed not only your dialogue with it, but the, the actual amount of data that's in there. Um, but also, I think I realised looking back now, how much technological change there was during that time. Um, some controversy, which no doubt we'll talk about. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that happened and clearly coupled with that quite a sad time in 1994 with the loss of Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna. So, you know, not an all rosy picture all around. So, Peter, let's start with your view of the decade, uh, a, a, an age that gave us, I believe, seven world champions and four constructors titles it was an exceptional decade and 1994 was a pivotal year in in formula one history without without a doubt but you, know, you look at the beginning of the decade you had um 35 cars trying to uh you know entering the first races of 1990 so there was pre-qualifying all of that and you ended it with a very regimented formula one with um with you know, a set number of teams that had to race at, uh, at every race, um, but a very professional sport. Um, as I said, 1994 uh, was, was a you know, pivotal year um, in safety and, and various other things. But um, it was a decade of heroes, I would, I, I would say. Um, you know, it was so strong. Yeah, indeed. Um, Neil Trundle, just to bring you in, your overview yeah, of the decade as well from a someone that was actually in the in the thick of it i know most of the time back in the woking workshop but 
um, you know, having worked through the 1980s, um, which obviously led into crazy statements, say, into the 90s, but a lot of things went on that influenced racing in the 90s. Yes, well, first of all, just to say how good it is to get together after all this lockdown and that Brooklyn's is finally open again, I believe, yeah? We're partially open now and... Uh, the sheds are open, a few of the uh, kind of interactive stuff is still on hold, but yeah, it's back open for business, which is great news. Right, and summer seems to, seems to be arriving. Well, um, yeah. hopefully from tomorrow, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before we start talking about the 90s, can I just say that um, I've, I've tried to uh, catch up on the book. This is an amazing book. So much detail. This was um, a very special era, uh, these 1990 to 1999. But um, so I opened the book when Steve brought it around two weeks ago, and I'd, I'd say it would take me years to read it cover to cover. That's it was such a, such a comprehensive period of so many cars. But um, what I like about the book is each. Uh, year, I, I like the intro, the the one or two, the two page intro summing up the season and then car by car. So I've been studying those and I've been doing all my notes year <laughs> by year and picking out the salient points. Um, but it, yeah, it was a special era. So I came off the team end of 89. I was gearbox manager for 16 years after that. But um, so I'm good on the gearbox stuff. I can't believe how many regulation changes and the technology during this period that swung backwards and forwards. It was an exceptional era for technology up, up to 93, um, 94, when the FIA tried to. Right. But um, uh, unbelievable um, uh, changes, switching backwards and forwards in regs. And, um, and, and actually, while we're on that subject, we've lost Max. Hmm. Love him or hate him, you know, Max brought something to the sport. And Max was very much involved in all these regulation changes, which were vast to try and slow cars down, bring about safety. So I say hats off to you for picking your brain to take that era of <laughs> so much change. And I, can I ask you, what your sources were for all the data each year. Incredible detail. Uh, I, I try and go back to the contemporary reports and, but you know, contemporary magazines and, um, and newspapers and, and so on. Um, and obviously there are a lot of very good books about the technology of Formula One. And that is, that is one of the sources, but I really try and go back to what was being said at the time. And um, I love all the, the politics and and the personnel changes as well and you know when a designer moves you know John Barnard's next Ferrari is going to be the one John Alacy wants to be there I love just reading that as it was being said at the time rather yeah. than a, a report later so um yeah a lot of fun going back I, I like living in the past so it's uh, yeah in fact from that period of all the technological development now it, it's um, it's more or less settled down and it will change with the new engine regs. But uh, yeah. this was a period of trying to control the development 
and technology and also trying to bring about safety and reduce speed. And it was just crazy, wasn't it? Or I, 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 I think the Williams FW14B sort of sums up um, just the crazy imagination of those engineers back then and just the ultimate in technological car. It, it, would, have, it would have been superseded, but obviously the regulations changed. And yes. FIA definitely wanted to get rid of electronic driver aids, as they were said at the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time. But you were working at McLaren, I know, in Woking. But when, um, you know, when Senna died, which must have been very personal to you guys, um, and, the, um, and obviously the, the shock of, of Roland Ratzenberger and all the other accidents happening at the time, and, and the FIA and Max Mosley were pushing through uh, changes, you know, at a rate of knots, the team's not liking it as far as I could see. What happened in the corridors of Woking at that time? Because it must have been, you know, we're going to have to step flat, flat bottoms and all of this just being imposed on you guys in two months, you know. Well, yeah, it, but <laughs> this was a period when technology um, outflanked driver ability. You know, <laughs> this is the argument, isn't it? Yeah. Is the performance, what percentage is in the cars and, and what's in the drivers? But um, it certainly brought about problems um, and trying to keep up with the regs. Yeah. And also people, and I don't know how we, I mean, we could go through briefly year by year, but, um, you know, everyone was, engineers were trying to find loopholes and certainly people were certainly stretching the regulations. And there were lots of um, protests and FIA inquiries Mm. And um, it was a tricky period for designers and the FIA. You know, I, the FIA were trying to um, control it and slow it down, and the engineers were trying to find the loopholes. And we can talk about some of those. You know, uh, do we? Should we pick year by year, just briefly, year by year? And um, it's going to test me and you, but. Um, yeah. So, I'm, um, Neil, I'm happy for you to uh, take the lead and go through year by year. Um, I mean, there's some obviously some highlights that you'd like to bring up, um, and I don't mind it being a McLaren-led um, uh, led evening. <laughs> no, no, it won't be because so. I mean, ten years. That's it's a big period to cover in the book. How long did it take you to write the book, Peter? Um, I reckon they take about a year to do one of one of these books. Really. Uh, you know, I, I do other stuff as well, obviously, um, but um, it, it takes about a year to research, write it, and then do the production um, with with the guys from Evro, who I think have done a cracking job again. In and how many, how many hours a day, a set period each day? No, I sort of space it out, but it gets it gets pretty intense towards the end. Well, the reason I asked that, because I started doing my book about six months ago. <laughs> And unless you set the time aside and, and, and the research, and so I'm, I'm starting to realise it's quite a task. And now this is your fourth or fifth book. This of, is the fifth, fifth in this decade. Decade. Yeah. Uh, and I can ask you, the earlier decades were easier, weren't they? The DFV engines and that period, that was they, the, a lot easier. They all, they all present um, a different challenge. I mean, the 1950s, the big challenge was finding a photograph of every driver in every car, because... Yeah. 
the um, people didn't send photographers to, to the Argentinian Grand Prix in 1953. Uh, you know, you look at motorsport, maybe not 1953, maybe there are pictures in that one, but you would just have a single page in motorsport of text. There were no pictures. So to try and find some funny, um, you know, local in a Maserati that never raced anywhere else ever again really? yeah. was, was a challenge. But, but Mark Hughes at Evro um, succeeded. So that was good anyway. So right. they their challenges. And I, I saw that you were involved with LAT uh, once in the past. Um, I, I, I worked there for 17 years, which, you know, was... So you were able to call on a few favours for your photos and... They are, the main, they are the main source. Great shots in the book. Yeah. So great. the book, so when did the book come out? It's only just been launched or it hasn't? I think, it, I think it's about a month ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's recent. And it's um, so available, what, are you mainly online or? Amazon or, or, um, or through Evro um, Direct. So no, normal retailers and, and, you know, chasers and people like that. So, yeah. So, so tonight's a good opportunity for the people of Brooklands to uh, ask questions and, and share some thoughts on your book. And for you, it's a good opportunity to uh, advertise your book. But it's great. Yeah. Uh, you're much better Just, selling than I am, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> but come on, it's great for, I mean, I support Brooklands and um, it's, it's been a period of, well, for the whole world, strange period and we're coming out of it. So this is a good opportunity to say well, to I people think... of Brooklands, keep supporting the, uh, the club and Brooklands and um, here we are doing our best, aren't we, to um, bring some interest to it. Well, today yeah, we is are, actually, to, sorry, sorry, Steve. Um, no, really opportune moment because I um, always used to go to Brooklands on the day of the Indy 500 because of, you know, I just lo love the Indy 500 and love oval racing as well as Formula One, obviously. And so I'd always go there. I'd take my young boy and go, look at that banking, you know, yeah. that is serious. So, um, so at it, the Indy 500 weekend coming up. Pretty. And I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine, um, Gavin Beresford, and his brother Nigel Beresford was very involved in Indy. And we were talking about car safety and the halo. And he was, mm. he, because of his brother, really is following Indy now. And of course, it's coming up for the 500. Yeah. And we're talking about all the, the halo or the, the, their interpretation of the halo. And he said that lives have been saved already with that. They do look like a bit of a sports car, but um, mm. the halo has certainly uh, brought about some safety. Well, I, I, I um, any skeptic about the halo watching um, Roman Grosjean's crash? Oh, you know, must be. Wasn't that a way? That was such a, a what an impact of um, you know making us realise that the thing was effective of all the skeptics of it. I mean, yeah, it's a bit like that hands device, all the devices. Yeah. Boy, that, um, and when we reflect on that, how he ever got out of that. And, um, mm -hmm. that and incidentally, yeah. And, and he went to Indy, he's at Indy now, and they had a, um, a race. <clears throat> there he is, an F1 driver going to Indy. And I think he led, I, I can't remember the race, it was a few weeks ago, and he led so the he, race in second. He qualified on pole. 
at, yeah. um, for the road course. He's not doing How a... How good is that? Uh, yeah, to, really step good. Out of that to step out of that inferno, you know. Well, going, back uh, the, going back to the 90s and Max Mosley, who obviously, you know, is recent in our thoughts, um, post at um, Imola 94, you know, yeah. through the safety, it was almost the time where Formula One really stepped up the game for safety. Right? Yes. And, and, you know, it was resisted by teams because it was cost and it was brought in really quickly. Um, but, um, you know, Formula One did get safer from that. Yeah. It was a terrible yeah. you know, I remember the weekend really well um, and, and the period really well. But, you know, say, Formula One now does drive through safety, which is uh -huh. great. Yes, I agree. So, so just taking a few years, so mm. 1990, um, Senna was champion. Yeah. Um, In controversial circumstances. <laughs> yeah. Well, shall we talk about that in a, in a second? So he was in the 5B and it yeah. had a, a V10 engine and there was Prost with the Ferrari with a V12 engine, which was performing very well. Yeah, um, probably, the best, a, probably the best Ferrari for the first half of that decade. It's the only time it challenged Ferrari. Yeah. Always, Ferrari always seemed to say, next year is going to be a transition year and we'll challenge the year after. Right. Until, until the revolution of, you know, Todd, Braun, Right. Yeah. Uh, they always just putting it off. But that year they had a real go at it, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, but they did have Prost in the car, who was well, very yeah. He was a pretty good driver, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, and I also noted 35 entries pre qualifying in that period. I know. Um, I love writing about the minnows and, and you know, working out all of that. And oh. One became sort of sanitized over this period. Sure. Of regular fields. Yeah. And, and you know, teams like Andrea Muda disappearing and, you know, life race engines. What a crazy yeah. idea that was. Onyx, David Purley. Yeah, absolutely. So um, many small teams. You know? Yeah. But it, but and, it was, and lots of different engines. So many different engines in that yeah. period. Yeah. No, it was so, special but, for that. But talking about safety, 1990 um, was the Lotus with a Lamborghini with mm. uh, Donnelly. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot about that chassis. You know, Colin Chapman, or uh, they always said they, they did the first carbon chassis. McLaren's always said they did the first <laughs> carbon chassis. The carbon chassis of Donnelly was a composite chassis, but it was glued and bolted together. It wasn't homogenous in a, yeah. one layer. And that car fell apart and thanks to safety and um Sid Watkins god rest his soul you know he was saved but that was a a wake-up call on chassis it, it was it was a horrific accident and yeah I, you you will know better than me but I think it sort of affected Ayrton Senna didn't it because he came on came on Martin Donnelly in the middle of the road when that's right accident and yeah. stopped and um that must have an effect on a driver you know sure i mean lots of drivers have come across uh, across accidents like that yeah. and it's whether they can switch off from it but but uh you know driver safety that's what started to bring about stiffer chassis and more safety yeah. um and sid watkins bless him you know he was 
he was such a driving force for safety, magic guy. Um, yeah. I met him many, many times. In fact, I've still got his watch somewhere tucked away. <laughs> but um, I mean, he saved he saved a few people and he pushed safety. But um, and I've also got it at the bottom of my notes here that it was the I think the last year of Lotus, mm. or it was they were on the way out. Brabham were going as well. Teams yeah. were dropping out. Teams with established names. Well, um, Lotus got into real trouble at that time and were rescued by Peter Wright and um, Peter Collins with yeah. Ackerman's driver. And for yeah. two years, because um, I have to declare I'm a bit of a Lotus fan, um, for two years, they with Hackenden and Herbert in the car, they it, it was the good news story. They seemed to be on the way back. But yeah. by 1984, you know, the cards were against them and, and they went out, yeah. which is really yeah. sad. Brabham. And ironically, they had Loctite um, sponsorship. Yeah. And when they when they folded, an Ekrim Sami came back to McLaren. They brought Loctite to us. So Was he was he at Lotus at that time then? Ekrim was, yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 He tried to do the IndyCar program for Lotus. Right, okay. And did. So just finalised in 1990, the, the Japan race. Um, huh. I think Ayrton was correct in saying he should have been given the choice of pole position, the side of the road for pole. Yep. I would agree. And, and he'd said his mind that if he didn't make it off the start first, that they weren't going to both get through that corner together. It was a deliberate act, wasn't it? He, I don't. Did he ever admit that? But it was obvious, well, wasn't it? I think. I think he always said that there was, there was a gap, and he went for an overtaking manoeuvre. But I don't think. Yeah. He but then you know, go back twelve months and Suzuka yeah. eighty nine. Yeah. Yes. Prost and Senna crash into each other. Right. And I've always thought that Prost moved over, not in such a deliberate act. Um, whether Ayrton would have made the corner is another argument but you you were chief mechanic at the time so. i was watching i was watching the screen standing in the pits and tell I me what it was like guys, i said this is going to end in tears <laughs> <laughs> so did Ayrton get a push you know what they they penalized the Ayrton but going through the chicane but yeah uh, that was the wrong penalty because you were allowed to go through the chicane he should have been penalized for a push start but anyway yeah that's, that's history true. that's history yeah. So that was 1990, 1991, Senna champion. Um, With Gerhard Berger as teammate, what was the yeah. atmosphere like? Um, obviously, you know, those two years. Um, what was the atmosphere like after Prost Senna, between Senna and Berger? Oh, they were best of pals. Yeah. They socialised, they partied, they played pranks on each other the whole year, some of which you couldn't believe. You know, throwing someone's briefcase out the helicopter in mid-flight. Yeah, yeah, they were they were bizarre, and Ron Dennis was involved in that as well. But the mistake <laughs> we made, talking about my team, was or Honda made was because Pros V12 was so good. Honda decided to do a V12. Yeah, and it, it was so heavy that it wasn't competitive really. So. Okay. In 91, they did a 60-degree V12, and in 92, they did a 75-degree V12. The thing was so uh, used so much fuel and was so heavy, whereas the little um, Ferrari V12 was, was um, a beautiful little engine. Yeah. So I've got here um, technical innovation. So um, 
1990 um, Ferrari with Barnard, and that was when Barnard started to get involved or was signed up to them. Yeah. Now, I think John got the credit for the um, semi-auto gearboxes, uh, the paddle shift gearbox rather, but actually when he went to Ferrari, they'd already tried to do it. And so that was the start of, of a, a technology that I got involved in. And, and the Ferrari system was um, a solenoid or a, a hydraulic on each rail. And they had to try and make sure that it selected the right rail each time. Okay. Um, and often it got both together and massive blow ups. Um, but they did start that technology of paddle shift gear changing. And that yeah. was a clear, clear advantage. Arguably, should it be in racing, you know, should the driver have the skill of the gear change? Because thereafter, the technologies raced away, you know, if they'd have... You know that famous, you know that famous in-car lap of Monaco of Ayrton Senna? Yes. He's doing gear, gear changes. Yes. You know, well, any bit of in-car at that time. If, if you show that to somebody who watches Formula One now, they go, wow. No, yeah, do that. <laughs> you no. see, and that's another um, part of the equation of the skill of driving, which maybe should be there now because you've got so many. Well, they've taken away some devices that could have been there, you know. But that was the start of the paddle shift gearboxes, and um, I, I, um, I still, I'm still astounded by current racing drivers when they go, you know, P4, Strat 5, whatever it is. And you just think about how many different buttons and combinations they've got to they've, they've got to remember and do while they're yeah. Ready. But you, when you see people like Lando, they've come up with the computer age. They play yeah. on their games, and it's they can learn that very easily, and it's automatic, yeah. you know. But I did would... you notice Coulthard interviewed um, Science at Monaco after the race, and uh, he was just chatting to him. He said, "You're not even sweating." He said. Well, Sainz said, well, I'm very fit, but really what it is, is, you know, then they've got power steering, they're not having to work at it, you know, <laughs> they're getting out fresh, yeah. whereas, you know, back in the day, they got out and they were just wasted, you know? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, 91 was technology, I've got here active um, suspension. Um, I've got here that Lotus were the first to do the active suspension with Senna in 87 and the Camel car. Well, with... um, I believe Lotus uh, patented the term active suspension. So when Williams had their system, yeah. it was initially called reactive. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just because of a patent. Um, well, so, yeah, Lotus made it work. For, they won Monaco yeah. and um, Detroit. Detroit, yeah. yeah. With, yeah. With, with Senna, yeah. So they started it, uh, and it, it came on later. But um, but Williams, um, Williams took it to the to the, you know, the well, ultimate. Williams and in '93 with McLaren the MP4 8 that was our version. Yeah, the little HB engine car was Senna but last year was Senna. How 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 much did having a Ford engine after the years of Hondas sort of harm that championship challenge? You think? Well, the mis mistake to repeat was that if Honda had stayed with the V10 mm. and had latched on to Renault's magic technology, yeah. which we have to give them credit for, the pneumatic valves, they developed pneumatic valves 
and instantly the rev limit went up from 12,000 to infinitesimal because mm. valve balance was no longer the restriction on the engine revs. So um, if Honda had saved the V10 and, and uh, incorporated the pneumatic valves, we'd have, we'd have been looking good. Up. Yeah, yeah we, we didn't put pneumatic valves on the V12 until 92. Renault had already got it developed and their well, revs were 16,000. By, by that time, Renault was the engine to have, wasn't it? Oh, they, that, and that was the major leap through. Yeah. Or leap, that was, and I, I don't know, was it Booty or who was the guy at Renault who developed that system? But how brave was that? Well, Dudo was leading Dudo. the program, but I'm not sure the actual engineer who did that doesn't spring to mind. But um... and the other thing in your book, you talk about elf fuel and implying that they had magic fuel, you know, good fuel. I think that one of the things that surprised me researching this is how important development of fuel was alongside the engine, the engine manufacturer. Yes. Um, you know, it was very, very. You know, it was really wasn't it to the technology was developed yeah. um, it was another thing that the FIA cracked down on um, right so on the automatic gearbox development so Ferrari did it in a 90 and um, struggled with it 91 Williams got it right they did the sequential barrel shift but they didn't have a throttle blip and I remember going to the races and the drivers on downshift had to blip and flip the paddle to get wow. it to go right, because they okay. didn't have fly-by-wire throttle. 92, we put it on our car, and Honda did um electric blip throttle, and that just solved the downshift problem. Okay. So it, it's funny how each team copies but improves it. And yeah. And, and now, just going on from that, now we have seamless shift. Yeah. Where there's no lift of power. That is amazing, isn't it? Which, which goes wrong now and again. So, um, yes, so 91, um, Burlesque was out. Um, Max came in, proposed ban on cigarette advertising. Um, it's gone for the decade. Yeah. And also, 91 was the first year that Senna won his home Grand Prix in Brazil. Which, uh, is that the one when... Um, we Stuck in gear. In the set, in the, yeah, in the Senna movie. The, the film of that is just amazing wow. because he's so and emotional. I was there as gearbox support guy, and when he lost the gears, and he said, <laughs> "I'm stuck in sixth gear," and I had to endure the last ten laps with Patrese catching up. That was a bit. <laughs> I think I started to smoke at that point. When, when when that came on the radio, did everyone look round at you? <laughs> They were looking around all the time. We had, I mean, it was a, a time of gearbox development. So I was always, when I watched the races at home, I was always on the edge of my seat mm. when they talked about gearbox problem. Pross was fired from Ferrari at the end of that year. And mm. significantly, Leighton House got the first Ilmore Mercedes V10. Yes. Well, it wasn't badges of Mercedes at the time, but it was... No, it was badges of Ilmore. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Ilmore now is what Mercedes is, if you've got to be. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and an amazing engineering company. Yeah, 92, Mansell champion. Um, 
pump fuel was was um, was a regulation. The Renault V10, the most powerful I've got here. Yeah. Um, well, it was Honda. it was the it was the engine to have by then, and oh yeah. And I always think it's interesting looking at Benetton and Flavio Briatore just just doing politics to try and get the Renault engine, you know, which he got, yeah, which he got in the end. But buying teams because they had a Renault, Ren, you know, I think McLaren actually put a bid in to buy Ligier at some point to try and get Renault engines. Oh, yeah, um, but you know. Benetton won the World Championship in 1994 with a Ford engine. Yes. And still swapped to, you know, still have this whole thing. We have got to have Renault engines, you know. Well, so they won in 94 with a Ford engine, but they mm. had lots of systems in the car, which they... Which maybe perhaps shouldn't have, shouldn't have been there. Yes. <laughs> Should we talk about that? Let's touch on that. Because... Well, um, yeah, so traction control, did they have it? Stuart said he thought they did have it because he could hear the car mm. changing. And, and Ayrton, chasing down the first three races, were convinced they had traction control. Well, I, I always thought that was a massive contributing factor to Imola. Of course, yeah. And we had an engineer who shan't be, shan't be named who joined McLaren, and he didn't say as much, but... He implied that at the end of the race, the computer re-zeroed itself and that information was lost. But, you know, everyone's trying to um, look for loopholes. But what they did have, which wasn't um, sussed out for a while, was their launch um, trigger. So the FIA introduced a trigger on the grid, which sensed the car moving. And... So when the lights went out, that trigger under the car um, uh, activated. Yeah. So Benetton figured their launch control so that it acted on that trigger. So when the lights went out, it acted the launch control because he did make some good starts. But I mean, he was but, the up and coming driver. Uh, Michael Schumacher was, you know, obviously now taking Formula One by storm, wasn't he? Of course, of course. But um, it's called The Unfair Advantage, I believe. Um, Written by Mark Donoghue. It was yeah. Mark Donoghue, yes. Yeah. Um, but there, there was always, there was loads of rumblings in 94 about that car. Um, but yeah. I don't believe there's ever a protest. No, you're probably right there. Which, which just seems odd, you know. Shall we talk about 94 going on from that and the um, competition between Schumacher and Ayrton? Um, Ayrton had pole position for the first four races yeah. with a car that wasn't handling very well. And, you know, ironically, Adrian would have sorted that car out. He... Uh, I think by the end of the year, that car was the best car. Well, there you go. Yeah. And, and yeah, he had pole for the first three races and, you know, obviously spun in, in Brazil, was taken out at the start um, in the Pacific Grand Prix and then, obviously, Imola is a very well-known story, but um, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think Senna would have won that championship because by the end of the year, it was. It was yeah. We'll never know. And also, again, we'll never know what the cause of Ayrton's accident was. And maybe, maybe it's better that we don't know. Mm. I said to, um, I said to um, 
uh, Neil Oatley at McLaren. Mm. I said, I can't believe there wasn't someone in the crowd when he was coming through that corner that didn't have it filmed. And he said, there wasn't a crowd. There are no spectators yeah, there's none. On, on the outside of that corner. And uh, so we'll never know, will we? No. And the one thing I, I was thinking about quite recently about that is that, you know, Tamburello, there had been several big accidents in the previous yeah. years. You know, PK, Berger, Albert, Berger, yeah. But it all had big accidents there. And yet, there, no change to the corner because it's flat out, very narrow, as we saw this year with well, Boston well, Russell. Well, it wasn't a change to the corner, but there was a change to the barrier because when Berger had his accident, the barriers mm. followed the curve. And okay. Berger bounced along the barrier. They moved the barrier back and it presented 90 degree to Ayrton. Okay. Which, you know, didn't help. But I mean, yeah, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, steel suspension, um, no halo, you know, uh, low, low cockpits, you know. Mm. Safety is, in, in fact, Formula One is probably one of the safest um, forms of racing at the moment, I'd say. You know? Yeah, I, th I, I would agree. It's um, in all racing. Great progress. So, um, and also, I've got it. Pirelli withdrew, and everyone was on Goodyear tyres at that period. Well, that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tire I mean, wars. Yeah. Tire wars just drove the whole thing for um, qualifying tyres, which contributed yeah. to um, accidents. Um, sure. And you know. Um, our technology has been amazing in Formula One um, all the way through. And I think it's in, in a way, tyres are sort of um, not, they're not spoken about. It's, I, I, when I used to go to Formula One races and people would talk about, you know, tyre stretches and everything like that. And then you just walk through the paddock and there's a pile of tyres just sitting there. I'm thinking that is one of the most important things yeah. in winning the race. And they're just sitting there, you know, and I know that no one's going to tamper, but it's just, it's just weird. It's a very under valued bit of sport if you said I mean sure and what do you think about black the, and boring sorry what do you think about the current Pirelli need to run both both tires and run uh, your rate start the race with Q2 ones I, I would I I like the whole thing that you've got to change tires and you, therefore the strategy comes and everything like that um I wish that the rubber didn't force people to conserve you know I want to see racing drivers go flat out yeah. So when you hear they're in a conservation period of the race, you just think, oh, come on, you know, build them to last. Gentlemen, can I just uh, interject? Yeah. We have a yes. question from the uh, audience, uh, from Anne Holden, who uh, talks about technology uh, outpaced driver ability. Uh, but she said so far, you've not mentioned Nigel Matzel's uh, famous for his ability to wring the neck out of any car. <laughs> Um, I'd appreciate a comment. <laughs> well, one of the best bits of television from this era, and I, I'll, I'll lose the, the year, but is Mansell going round the outside of another car at the final corner in Mexico City, which, you know, was just one of the most amazing overtakes. And, and he, um, you know, he was an exceptional man for getting... Um, the most out of, more than he should out of a car you know you knew he just wore his heart on his sleeve and he did more for motor racing in this country than than most others in terms of putting bums on seats you know he, yeah 
The um, unfortunate thing is his bum in our seat didn't fit. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> anyway, move, move, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> but uh, one of the best parties as well with Mansell was on PK at British Grand Prix, Silverstone, oh, when he went yeah. down the inside of him. And, and yeah, it was like a double bluff, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Magic. Yeah. And it took him a few years to get in the groove, you know, when he came into Formula One. It took him a while, but suddenly he hit that, that spot. That was because, partly because, you know, he, he came in with Lotus. Lotus were on the wane. Yes, they won yeah. again, but um, yeah. after, his, after his time there. But he moved, he moved to Williams and um, mid-80s, 85, I'm thinking, um, and was up against... Rosberg and then PK, and I think both those two world champions underestimated, you know, underestimated the, underestimated the man because yeah. you know he worked really hard. He was very quick. Mm. Yeah, deserved his championship when he won it in '92. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. So, I agree. so let's go back on to '95, Neil, and then uh, go on from there as we're on that okay. uh, era. Yeah, '95, um, Schumacher champion. Uh, Benetton with a Renault engine. I mean, that was the combination. Um, 95, um, ironically, uh, well, ironically, we acquired the um, the Ilmore engine, the Ilmore Mercedes engine. We stole it from Sauber. You talk about the Piranha Club and dog eat dog. That's that's the way it is, you know. Steel drivers with steel engines. Yeah. Sauber. Um came into the sport, I think, in 93. Yeah. Backing from Mercedes, but yeah. officially with a Mercedes engine. And um, they had that. Um, then they, uh, McLaren took that engine from them because you had an unhappy experience with Peugeot. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think is quite ironic because um, that year in 94, McLaren, it's, really, it's always seen as a disastrous year. But McLaren... It wasn't. Which scored good points. Fourth in the championship and, yeah. and scored eight podium finishes. Right. McLaren Honda in 2015. You know, they'd have been, you know? Yeah. I, I love the Persia guys and the engine, they wouldn't listen on one thing. They wouldn't do a, um, an oil air separator and it tended to foam the oil. You remember Brundle on the grid, Silverstone, mm. from the start. The, yeah, yeah, that massive it, fire. Yeah, but it was a, it was a good engine, and we had good results. Yeah, you know? but, uh, so, but but uh, sorry, with Sauber, you obviously they'd lost yeah. to you. They then inherited the Ford, and by the end of their first year with Ford as the worst engine, two year deal, um, they were informed that Jackie Stewart was coming in with a Formula One team and had got a five year deal for the works Ford. So I always thought Sauber started off, you know, acknowledging the Piranha Club existed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we got the engine, and it, it's obviously been, you know, one of the engines to have, uh, apart from Honda coming in now. Um, and we did very well with the engine. Um, mm. Well, it that, started a glorious time for the for the for for the team, didn't it? Yeah, a Marrow Ilian, and um, God rest him, um, Paul Morgan. Mm. You know, the the team there at Ilmore, they produced some great stuff. Some of their engines were completely crazy, you know, 21,000 engines, but only for half the race. But, and that was the year 95 when Mika had his massive accident at, yeah. in Australia and fractured his skull and um, 
and Sid saved him there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've never seen a driver come back uh, from an accident like that. But Mika came back and he was a champion again. And I was yeah. amazed at that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. He, he, he didn't lose an inch of speed, did he? No, um, no. And so that year we had... I just got in my notes. We had Renault, we had Ilmo Mercedes, Peugeot, Ferrari, Mugen, Hart, Yamaha. So many engines. Yeah. Well, I think the manufacturers were in love with Formula One at the time, weren't they? And, yeah. Um, the old adage of, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. They must have believed that was... Right. Because we'd just come out of an economic recession. Um, yeah. The early 90s uh, was difficult times. And we said earlier, you know, teams like... Lotus, Brabham, Tyrrell, in this decade, all disappeared. Um, yes. So, so many of the minnows disappeared. You know, it was it was difficult time to. to Sad. Yeah. Um, and when you think that Tyrrell innovated um, the female molded mo um, carbon chassis, mm. they innovated the high front chassis and the dihedral yeah. wings, and you know, and these teams are gone. But, yeah. Um, so we want to move through the years, do we, Steve? We did ninety-five. Yeah. Yeah. Carry, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing. Um, we're trundling along now. So um, trundling along. Well, no, sorry about yeah, that. Um, Nineteen ninety-six, obviously, um, in this country was was um, a year of celebration for David Michael finally winning yes. the world championship. Um, yeah. And and Michael Schumacher going to Ferrari for twenty-five million dollars, I believe, a year. Yeah. Uh, unheard of back there and and two months before he signed i think one of the anielli family came up came out in the italian press saying 25 million for schumacher that's crazy no one can afford that and he did the deal <laughs> yeah i um in your book you you may mention that tom walkinshaw said a championship is done by bringing everyone together in the one year engine mm. chassis designers drivers managers all in one year, and, and really that when when uh, Michael went to Ferrari, he took Ross Braun, yeah, Rory Rory Byrne, and um, and that's what it's about, really. It's getting yeah. the whole combination together. Well, Rory Byrne was meant to be retiring and moving to Thailand, I believe. Yeah, yes, school. and somehow you know Ross Braun ends up at Ferrari, so he then persuades the designer from Tolman and and Benetton that he really doesn't want to retire and he wants to come to Ferrari. And that partnership went on for so many years and, you know, launched the, the, the dominate, dominating era in the early um, 2000s for Ferrari. Yes, and John Todd, of course. Yeah, John Todd, the, the key organiser, the one yes. that, you know. Yeah, and Nigel, Nigel, Nigel Stepney was yep. chief mechanic. Yeah. God bless him, whatever happened there, Ferrari yeah. gate, what a no, mess. No, no. But, yeah. um, you know, key in that team, we're, we're stepping forward, but um, it did start in 1996. You know, Michael Schumacher, love him or hate him, and he, he's a Marmite driver in many yeah. ways, but he was unbelievable at, um, at getting a team around him. Sure. Making people work, you know, yeah. uh, because they loved him, you know. Yeah. Apparently he played football with the mechanics. They had... On midweek, they'd, they'd have to finish, you know, whatever they were doing in Maranello on time because Michael was going to, and he knew all of the names. Um, he, he was ahead of his time in many ways as a racing driver. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, Damon, yeah, a great championship. And, 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 very and you, can't, you can't think of, of Damon winning the World Championship without remembering the great Murray Walker. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you said, I'm in tears. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have to stop now. I've got a lump in my throat. And yeah, just... and and Damon could have won it the year the year before in Australia, but for Mike in, it was rather in ninety in ninety four. Yeah, great as he was, Michael made some rash moves on Damon on Villeneuve and yeah. you know, bad yeah, boys sometimes, but parking a great guy. It, parking it at ra oh. ra when did you, did you and, see and that? I, well, what shot at Monaco? Yeah. yeah, when he just parked it so Alonso couldn't get on pole. And, yeah. you know, he was put to the back of the grid and quite rightly. Yeah. But anyway. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned Jack Villeneuve because that's obviously 1997. Villeneuve came in in 96 uh, yeah. as Damon's teammate Williams. He had just won the Indy 500. He won the Indy Car Championship. Brash yeah. kid. He put it on pole for the first race, his, his debut, which is almost unheard of. I think yeah. Rob and Andretti are the only others. Um, and he would have won that race, but, but for running wide and being told to slow down. Uh, yeah. he, he then wins the championship in his second year, having been driven off the road by Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Um, and he, Williams lose Renault engines because Renault are pulling out, uh, and he doesn't win another Grand Prix. And in a way, he's sort of He's, he's not given his place in, in motor racing history because his, his first two years were just unbelievable. You're right, yeah. It's, it, it's odd. He, he took on Michael Schumacher and he did win. Yeah, yeah. yes. So. And actually, I just want to flip back to 93 when we had yeah. Michael Andretti in our yes. car. Michael never got... I have to say, in fairness to Michael, he never got a fair crack of the whip. We had no testing. We were renting engines from Cosworth, mm. and I think if he'd have had more time in the car, he would have also done well. Anyway, that's remember, re well, re remember who's on the other side of the garage. It was Ayrton Senna. So he's, yeah. been, he's being um, compared to Ayrton Senna. You know? Well, yeah, but he had some, he had good qualifying times, but he had lots yeah. of accidents. He just needed more time in the car, I think. The, the ironic thing is, is his last race for McLaren was the Italian Grand Prix, and he finished third. Best result. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. I read that in your book. Yeah. Um, 97, brake steer. Talk about brake steer huh. and McLaren. <laughs> well, I'd like you to tell me exactly how it worked, but basically, um, I, was I was working um, for F1 Racing and Allsport at the time, and uh, one of the, the chief photographer of F1 Racing and the, um, uh, the editor, who Matt Bishop, who ironically then worked for McLaren later. Yes. Um, they they saw photographs of McLaren and they were just going, why correct me when I'm wrong here, Neil, this is from memory. Yeah. Why is that right? Why is the rear um, inside wheel glowing yeah, red why, hot? Why is it red hot on that side but not on this side? And yeah. so it worked out that something funny was going on and that um, the belief was that uh, there was um, basically applying the pressure when you're going around the corner on extra pedal that put pressure into the inside wheel. And depending on which That's circuit right. you went to. Um, you switched it with a switch, switch on it. the dash. So, so basically yeah. it helped, helped the car in the, in the corners. And yeah. they worked this out. None of us at Haymarket knew 
this scoop was about to happen. And they basically went, well, when a McLaren retires out on the track, Darren, I will ring you from home, Matt said, and uh, you go and photograph inside the cockpit. Is that right? Yeah. So a McLaren then, um, either Mick or David, retired. That's correct. Um, so and there, there was the shot. So what it Darren does... took it. It's like a tank, and it, like a tank when you break each wheel. So it breaks the inside wheel. Yeah. It helps turn the car in, but what it does, it's a form of traction control. Okay. So instead of going in the corner and the inside wheel trying to wheel spin, it stops there, it puts the drive on the outside, and it worked. And the, drivers, the drivers didn't take long to get used to it, and, and you switched it from corner to corner, not circuit to circuit, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and the driver's um, got the hang of that. But th this is a typical bit of Formula One because it was really clever. It was within the rules. Yeah. I remember um, seeing a photograph of Darren Heath, the photographer, being interviewed by... Darren Ron. Heath, that was the guy, yeah. yeah. But uh, there was a photograph of the next race of Ron in the middle of the paddock, paddock berating him. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, it was a typical bit of clever Formula One technology. Um, but yeah. at the beginning of the next season, suddenly it was protested and it was. Yes. But I'm glad to say, because uh, that's 1998, it didn't make any difference. Claren right. actually steamrolled um, the yeah. championship. Well, we had Bridgestone tyres. Yes, that helped. But going on from that, when it was banned, we developed a system which uh, will be in my book, but we developed a system inside the gearbox that mimicked that. Okay. And. And the FIA couldn't ban it. And um, Martin Whitmarsh and the FIA agreed a deal to release traction control thereafter. And that's when traction control was opened Came up. Came back in. Came okay. back in, yeah. Technology, Brilliant. you know. When you've got 120 designers, uh, you know, trying to find loopholes, that's when the technology you races away. You can't unlearn something you know. Right. And I mean, going on from that, the problem for Formula One now is that the technology is so advanced, the vehicles are so advanced that um, the costs are just driving the thing sky high, you know, Yeah. Uh, which is a problem for Formula One. I don't know how they're going to slow it down. Yeah. I thought, you know, going on from that, I thought Ross was going to come, Ross Braun was going to get into Formula One and really reduce the cost. And... Um, I don't see many areas he has, but here's a case in question. Um, Bottas, Monaco Grand Prix, right? What happened to the wheel nut, right? The poor old mechanic, the car mm. stopped slightly out of position. He went on with an angle and it stripped the splines off yeah. the nut, right? I was, we make thousands of nuts for these races. The cost of the, of the wheel guns and the nuts Right, Ross was going to introduce steel wheel nuts, which is no uh, you know, downside for Formula One, but um, there, that that was a case that um, it, it bit them, you know. And yeah. the poor guy, you know. Oh, I, I felt I felt for them. <laughs> I felt for him, and it wasn't the wheel jammed on; it was that mm. the instant he spun the nut, it wasn't engaged with the spine, and it just stripped the the, the registers off the nut, and the poor guy, you know. So, so was that because it was uh, it was not straight on? Well, he either had the gun spinning too fast before he went on, 
or it was at an angle. But uh, Total Wars <laughs> has come out and said, you know, the mechanic, it was at an angle and the, the nut strip. Right. But what a, what a shame for the guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. God, I felt for him. So, gentlemen, we're up to um, 98, 99. Yeah. Mm. Well, 98, 90, yeah. 99, I always, think, is, I, I always yeah. think 99 is the championship that no one wanted to win. You know, Michael crashes and breaks his leg. Yeah. Mika Hackman made too many errors. Yeah. Uh, you, you, even, you even had, you know, Heintal Frenson won a couple of races in the Jordan and uh, going into a, uh, the Nürburgring late in the season, you were thinking Jordan are going to win the world championship. His, en his engine blew during that race. Yeah. I think he engine blown, but he retired. And that put pay to that. David Coulthard at that race slid wide when he could have won, and that would have taken him to within a couple of points of the lead. You know, right. Micka came back at the end. Eddie Irvine was challenging him because of Schumacher being injured uh, yeah. for Ferrari. Um, and Micka did win it at the last race. But well, I just felt that it was just this well, thing. At least it went down to the wire. I was at the Big Apple in Woking with all the McLaren guys and nearly had a heart attack with, until Michael... Um, did Michael go? No, it was the year before he went out. But anyway, yeah. Um, what was clever there was Michael came back and he secured the Constructors' Championship for Ferrari. But, mm. And he didn't impede Irvine, but he was there just picking up, you know? Yeah. Clever guy. Yeah. Michael was yeah. clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a close year. It was. Championships. it was. Um, but if you look through this year, most, you know, there were a lot of championship finales, um, controversial ones in 94 and 97. Uh, yeah. You know, lot, you know um, Hill in 96 won at the, at the last race, you know, Villeneuve in 97. Yeah. And not, uh, both of his were at the last race in Japan. So, yeah. you know, 1990, Senna. 1990 was. So it was. It was we want the championships to go down to the wire, really, don't we? We do. It was a decade of cliffhangers. Right. So this year, it's going to be interesting. Well, I hope it does. We have <laughs> more. We have more hope um, after the weekend. But I have to say, just about this year, you know, how good is Lewis Hamilton? Mm -hmm. What an unbelievable racing driver! Uh, well, he is, and uh, he did. Um, he did have a bit of a spat at Monaco when things went wrong, but then... But he wasn't very happy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be his race engineer, but, um, no. you know, anyway. And I felt for Leclerc. They made a mistake there. They should have, um, well, easy to say, you know, it was a drive shaft failure. They obviously uh, didn't check that out, but I felt mm. sorry for him. But Ferrari, they, they've come back, haven't they? Well, there they came back. Yeah, so we'll have to see if that's, you know, the whole year. Um, just to bring it back to McLaren, you know, Lando Norris is doing a great job. Yeah. It's great. Daniel, Daniel's a bit lost at the moment. I don't know why. You know, Lando keeps saying, well, he'll get the hang of the car. But mm. uh, I hope he, I like him. He's a great guy. Um, mm. But um, I hope he comes back. Yeah, we've got, you know, we've got the Mercedes engine. We should be up with Mercedes. We're supposed mm. to have the same engine. But do we? I don't know. But here's the yeah. irony, isn't it? We got rid of the Honda, and it was certainly two years of shame for us. Mm. But here they are now, fully developed, and they're going to go out of it at the end of this year, and they've really made their mark again. They? they have. They have. No, yeah. it's, it's true. Amazing. But um, yeah. you just don't you I, see the crystal ball. 
We've reached the end of the uh, of the era. Um, I've got one question that's come up. Um, let me just read this. It says, were there potential world champions in that decade that didn't win, a, uh, similar to Moss, who was classified as best driver, but never to win the championship in your mind? Neil, do you want to... In that period? Well, what, what, I, what I would say, Moss was, you know, an exceptional racing driver. A lot of people put him at the top of the list. So... Um, but in his era, winning the world championship was not the all, you know, wasn't everything in, in mm -hmm. the world. Um, um, there were some great uh, racing drivers. I'm um, Gerhard Berger, you know, but Berger should have won a championship, and Courtard, more importantly, Courtard should have won a championship. Yeah, but um, you know, he was paired with a, a better driver, but and also we let him down. We let him down on a, in a few races. He also slipped up, made mistakes mm. in a few races. But I'd like to think Courtard uh, win the championship. Yeah. He could have won in um, 99, could have won in 2000, couldn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So who else um, uh, in the last, well, in the last, Bottas. <laughs> I'd like to see Bottas do it, really. <laughs> you know. But uh, is he going to do it? But in that era, um, Alacy, you know, Berger. Yeah. Well, Jean, Jean Alacy, um, he was, you know, the hottest property when he was at Tyrrell. Yeah. And in 1990, uh, he, I believe, had a Tyrrell contract. He then signed for Williams. Uh, yeah. And then he signed for Ferrari because they came calling. So he basically signed for three teams at once. And I've always wondered... He ended up at Ferrari, but what would have happened if he was at Williams? Because yeah. Williams were the best team at the time, best technology, 91 through to 93. It's all about right place, right time. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, John, Absolutely. Johnny uh, Herbert, you know. Yeah, Herbert, I'm going to yeah. see uh, if Tim back in the studio has got uh, any questions lined up for people yep. who to come on and ask. Okay. Have you got anyone that's queuing up? Um, no, no one's raised hand. So if anyone does want to ask a question personally, uh, if you press your raise hand button. There's two in the Q&A, Steve. Okay. Let me just... Uh, I can't see any of those at the moment, Tim. Can you not? No. Um, right. Last one was from David, who says, could you say a little about Eddie Jordan arriving on the grid? For me, the Jordan 191 was the prettiest Formula One car ever. The 191 was one of the, one of the prettiest cars of all time. And, and um, Eddie Jordan did an unbelievable job as uh, a Formula 3000 owner to basically yeah. get, work, get Ford engines when other established teams were thinking they would get them. Um, he got sponsorship from um, Seven Up, Coca-Cola, basically. Yeah, and uh, did an amazing job. And basically, when Bertrand Gasho, uh, his one of his drivers, um, uh, had but went to, was went to jail because he had an altercation with um, a London taxi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for the Belgian Grand Prix, they placed um, they placed. 
uh, my Mercedes placed Michael Schumacher in there, who's a sports car driver. And he qualified seventh for the Belgian Grand Prix, caused a sensation. Um, and uh, it was thought that he had signed for Jordan, but uh, by the Italian Grand Prix, Benetton had muscled in and, um, and uh, signed him on a long-term contract. And on his way. I think that's one time Eddie was outmaneuvered because Eddie was pretty smart. But if you read his book, he got outmaneuvered there. But that's that's it. The Piranha Club. Yeah. I've got another question, gentlemen, from Anne Holden again. Um, your tip for uh, 2021 uh, champion Max Lewis, Valtteri, or uh, Lando? Wow. That is a well, real question. Yeah. I should say Lando, but I, um, if I was a betting man, I'd say Max. Well, I'll be contrary then, and I'll say Lewis. Really? I, I think yeah. the general belief is the Red Bull is the better car than yeah. Mercedes this year. Yeah. But yeah. I just, I just see Lewis big on, you know, an exceptional level at the moment. I really hope Lando wins a race this year. Can I just throw a question? Indeed. Can I just throw a question in there? Um, as far as the Red Bull's concerned, and this flexible wing, what's that about? Is it Red Bull that are being accused of having the flexible yeah, wing? They're, they're yeah, their rear wing. They're being accused of their rear wing. And I thought Sky did a very good um, bit of television where you, it was showing the wing going down a straight and then going around a corner, and it just goes up by a few centimetres. Um, uh, but Red Bull have countered by saying that the Mercedes front wing is flexing. So they're all going to flex, and they have this um, test on the front wings and the rear wings. The FIA yeah. have a test of flex, and obviously they're meeting that uh, test. I believe. But, uh, I believe at the next race that they are um, making the the test more more di difficult. I was going to say more rigid. I'd be wrong. Well, yeah. Um, but basically, you want to have as little drag as possible going down the straight, and you want as yeah. much downforce going around the corners. So, yeah. getting to there was one period in the nineties where there were a lot of rear wing failures in testing. I think Johnny yeah. had a, a big accident, um, yeah. and that again was exactly what they're doing now, trying to make the wings, you know, less draggy on the straight. Yeah. Look, yeah, they're all Fantastic. trying to, and, um, yeah, go, stay, go. All yeah. trying to do something different. Um, just go back to Tim. Have we got any more um, in the queue for any? Yeah, I've, I've got Cliff waiting in the wings. He should be able to speak. If you go ahead, Cliff. Oh, good evening, gentlemen. Hello, uh, Neil, can you elaborate on the film that was being used at the time? Because I remember one interview with Ron Dennis and I suspect he stole the fuel from somewhere and said, I'll do whatever it takes to win. And I think some of the fuels were um, quite an interesting mix at the time. So the fuel is, uh, well, so which period are we talking about, sir? Um, I would have thought the very early 90s. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't as um, controlled then. Now you have to produce the DNA every race yeah. for the fuel. And uh, supposedly all the fuel manufacturers are meeting that DNA. It was probably a bit more open then. You know, 
over the years, the fuel companies have all tried to develop um, fuels that are give a little bit of an advantage. I'm sure that Mobile uh, gave us a fuel that was good. Um, Ferrari, with their airship, had good fuel. Uh, were we cheating? I, I don't think it was as controlled then. It's absolutely controlled now, the DNA. I know that at one of the races um, a few years back, um, we had a slight mix from our testing on the race fuel and it showed up on the DNA and it was a bit marginal. You know, we had to, um, we had to put the case forward that it, it was a, a mistake. But um, back then, I'm sure everyone was trying to do a bit special on the fuel. In fact, Peter, yeah, Peter um, alluded to that in his book about elf fuel being a bit special. With the yes, elf I was thinking of. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thank Cliff. Um, Thanks, Tim, Cliff. anyone else? Thanks. Yeah, we've got a couple in the Q&A again. Uh, Laura Ayres says, what impact did grooved tyres and shorted wheelbases have on the performance of the cars in 98 to 99? And how did the engineers overcome this? Okay, I, I can answer a little bit on that. Yeah, the, the groove tires. So um, for the first year, I think they introduced three grooves and then the year after four grooves. Basically, it was to try and reduce the, or lower the speeds and reduce the grit level. But now you can see that um, Pirelli, with their tyre technology, can make a tyre with the grit that whatever they need. So it was it was a bit of a fudge effort to slow the cars down. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, wheelbase, uh, you know, all the, the, all the cars are different wheelbase. In fact, the current Mercedes is far longer than anyone else. That's about just how you set the car up and how you do your weight distribution. Uh, another one, Tim? Yeah, this is um, one. It actually came in very early on this one. It's a question to Neil, a little bit off subject. Uh, what's your favourite McLaren road car? And do you have one? Yes, I do. Uh, my favourite McLaren road car is the Gordon Murray F1 three-seater. Probably the best sports car in the world, road, road sports car. It is iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. No gizmos, no power steering, you know, no ABS. It's just, it's a race car mm. uh, on, on the road. On the road. Beautiful car, yeah. And it's a road car that won Le Mans. Yeah, yes, indeed. Special. Indeed. Um, uh, Tim, any more for any more? I'm conscious of the time. No, um, looks like we're empty all round now, Steve. Fantastic. Sure. Okay. Gentlemen, sure. I can't thank you enough for this evening. Um, just brilliant conversation. Uh, hope the audience have uh, enjoyed it as much as I have of just listening to you two guys. Uh, I could listen all evening. So thank you and uh, best of luck with the book. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm sure you're going to do well. Come back and see us again. And obviously, as uh, Neil has said, come back and see us at the museum just as soon as you can. Uh, just remind everyone that the next online talk is Mr. Lamont Derek Bell on Thursday, June 10th. And then on the 10th of uh, July, sorry, June. And then on the July 10th evening, we have the Formula, Formula, I've lost my teeth, former Formula One driver, Derek Daly, and author Morris Hamilton in the studio, which will be a great evening. 
And finally, our first live event of the year, which will be on June 24th, and that is at the moment, um, 7.30 in the Napier Room at the Museum with Steve Parrish and Maria Costello. Um, if you feel unsure about a room full of people, be delighted to say that we are live streaming on our YouTube channel. So that's something to look forward to. Gentlemen, once again, thank you so much. Thank you for the time. Much. Enjoyed it. Um, Steve, good luck Peter. with the book, and we'll see yeah. you all very soon. Thank you very Steve, much. Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Been a pleasure. You. Good luck with the book, and uh, thanks very much. The ground. We needed two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Good Thank night. you. Support Brooklands.